The Paul Whiteman, Freddie Keppard Showdown continues here on the I Might Be Wrong Comedy and Politics and Jazz History and Kyurg Sports Podcast. Regular listeners know that the last few weeks we've been going back and forth between the two titans of the early 1920s jazz scene, the Cindy Lauper and Madonna of their time, Freddie Keppard and Paul honky-ass Whiteman. Today is Paul Whiteman's go. This is Wang Wang Blues. Lord only knows what Wang Wang meant in 1920. It probably did not mean penis penis. It was probably a part for a machine that made thimbles or some shit. But this is Wang Wang Blues and something I'm kind of worried about doing here. So we've got this back and forth between Freddie Keppard, who is widely considered to be the top guy of the time, but his race and some poor career decisions held him back. And then Paul Whiteman, who most people consider to be not as good, but he was white, and he had better opportunities, and he kind of became the big star. So the lame white person thing for me to do would be to go, oh, Freddie Keppard, Freddie Keppard's so much better, so unjust, oh, Freddie Keppard, because that's just white people doing shit for ourselves when we do that, right? That's not anything helping anybody, that's just a white person going, oh, look at me, look how great I am, throw me a fucking parade. So I don't want to do that. But, I do think the Freddie Keppard stuff is better. What do you want me to say? The Freddie Keppard stuff, it's a little more fun. It's got some verve. It's got some kick to it. A lot of this Paul Whiteman shit has been like listening to grass grow. That being said, Wang Wang Blues kind of doing it for me. This is a bit more fun. I could picture throwing back a pint of 90 proof bathtub gin and kicking up my heels to this song. So, well done, Paul Whiteman. I'm giving this round to you, though. I still put Freddie Keppard ahead on points. Freddie Keppard is still in line to be the Madonna of the 1920s of now, if that makes sense, which it definitely does not. Hello! Welcome to the I Might Be Wrong podcast. I'm either Jeff Murr or Jeff Maurer. I'm not sure how that last name is pronounced. This is the audio version of content that can be found on my substack at imightbewrong.substack.com. It is currently completely free. How do I make money on it? I don't. My substack is a front for the Swedish mafia. Today's episode is a little bit of a different flavor from what I normally do, and it is called Fatherhood and Failure Both Start Out the Same Way. Subheading, but what is failure? And I wanted to write this one for reasons that will become obvious when I read it. So here's the question. Am I ready for fatherhood? That's an odd question in light of the fact that men have been falling ass backwards into fatherhood pretty much since the dawn of time. Most cultures probably had words to express, she's what? You're kidding! Before they had words for fire or moon. It is honestly ridiculous that sex can produce the lifetime commitment of fatherhood. Nowhere else in the world (laughs) does simple fun lead to such huge responsibility. Nobody gets on a roller coaster and ends up with a 30-year mortgage. Jumping in a bouncy castle does not put you at risk of becoming a Benedictine monk. Mother Nature is frankly playing dirty. She is roping people into lifelong commitments 
using tactics that make audibles. Sign up for a trial that you'll forget about in three months, and then we will bill you for the rest of your life. Maneuver, seem above board. And yet, I do wonder if I'm ready for fatherhood. I wonder this, despite the fact that I am 41 years old, already old enough that big weekend plans means watching a ball game and eating an apple. The commitment of fatherhood, it's a big step, right? It's just so huge. I have to ask myself, am I ready to care for another human being? Am I ready to be a provider, a mentor, a role model? I have never had a pair of sunglasses for more than three months. Is that a bad sign? It might be if I sit on a baby or leave a baby in a cab, I can't exactly pop into Walgreens and buy a new one. And even if I could, I don't really think my wife would be okay with that. If I'm going to be a dad, I want to be a good dad. There is a mountain of research showing that having a father in a household correlates with good outcomes for kids. Of course, a dad isn't 100% required for success. After all, Barack Obama's dad was not around, and now Obama has a major deal with Netflix, so it's safe to say that he did okay. But having a dad clearly helps. In fact, Obama himself captured my fears when he said, any fool can have a child. That doesn't make you a father. It's the courage to raise a child that makes you a father. End quote. Apologies for the lack of an Obama impression. I don't have that tool in my toolbox, but the money quote is, it's the courage to raise a child that makes you a father, and that is exactly the problem. Lacking that courage might be in my DNA. So let's go back to the 1920s, widely known as the Paul Whiteman, Freddie Kepper, Cindy Lauper, Madonna era. In the 1920s, my paternal great-grandfather left his family. He ditched. Even in an era when sending your child to work at the Triangle Shirtwaist Company was considered an acceptable character builder, ditching your family was a classless move. But that's what he did. After the birth of his fourth child, my granddad, he apparently thought, ooh, this is getting serious, and <laughs> he split. We are told that he started a new family in central Oregon, which means that I am probably related to half the townies in Wild Wild Country, which is the best cult documentary of the many good cult documentaries, in my opinion. Hippies running around in Oregon and poisoning my distant relatives. Check it out on Netflix, Wild Wild Country. So that was my great-granddad. My granddad, having witnessed a model of fatherhood that made the Titanic look like the Disney Cruise, he did a little bit better. He was there. He was in the house sometimes. My dad could have picked him out of a lineup. Of course, my grandpa was also of the school that considered child-rearing to be definitely in the woman's domain. My granddad's portfolio was car repair and lawn maintenance, my grandma's portfolio was housework and kids. I once asked my dad if he did stuff with his father. The question definitely caught dad off guard. He stared deep into the distance, kind of as if I had asked him if Jesus likes tacos. Finally, dad said, bolts, bolts. He got bolts from work that he would sell to other construction sites. But the bolts had to be sorted. So we would go into the shed and sort bolts. That's a true story. So I guess, 
sorting bolts in an unheated shed in Spokane, Washington. That was sort of my dad's family's version of Six Flags. My upbringing was different. I did stuff with my dad. Those outings with my dad really helped me get to know his quirks and failings in an intimate way. It started with clothes. Though my dad was neither a basketball player nor living in the 70s, he still sported the ABA-approved look of knee-high socks and shorts so short they would embarrass a go-go dancer all the way through my childhood. In 1982, DeWalt Tools gave my dad a free hat with the purchase of a miter saw, and dad wore that hat like it was the fucking helm of Odin. Even at my sartorial low point, which would be sixth grade, when sweatpants and Massimo shirts were all the rage, I was mortified by my dad's standard look of Dr. J meets Daisy Duke, as brought to you by DeWalt Tools. My dad was so cheap that he made the Amish look like cocaine barons. His Unwillingness to ever pay for parking bordered on a religious conviction, and he convinced Golden Corral that I qualified for the 7 and Under buffet until about the time I was taking the SATs. In the late 80s, Dad bought a crate, that's the only way to put it, a crate of razor blades from Costco, and at the rate of one blade every two weeks, Dad was set until July 9th, 2022. After that, Beard time for Dad. Dad never, ever forgot when a company screwed him. He had jihads against U-Haul and Comfort Inn that burned with the intensity of a billion suns. If I had been gay, my dad would not have cared. But if I had married someone who worked for Alamo Rental Car, Dad would have lost his fucking mind. That would have been too much. I can imagine Dad pointing a finger at my spouse across the Thanksgiving table and yelling, a Ford Focus is not a midsize! Of course, laughing at your dad's foibles is a luxury you have when your needs are provided for. And my needs were. My dad had enough career success to endow me with the blithe narcissism That is the marker of true privilege. Not that dad loved his job. He definitely did not. Which, in a way, I think is more admirable than runaway career success. After all, anyone can make themselves go into the hand jobs and ice cream factory five days a week. In contrast, my dad dragged himself into a job that he did not like and that he considered about as fun as getting hit in the balls with a nunchuck. He did that so that his kids wouldn't have to work as hard as he did. And I once took a sick day because I thought my hair looked weird, so I think we can say that Dad succeeded. I have been thinking a lot lately about my dad's adventures in fatherhood. And that is partly because my wife and I are thinking about having kids, but it is mostly because my dad recently passed away. This is true. I would not make a joke about that. My dad passed away. He had been sick for a very long time. And the week before last, the day finally came. I am sad, of course, though I am truthfully taking some solace in the fact that dad surely was pleased that his 1980s Costco razor blade purchase ended up meeting his needs pretty much bang on the nose. July 9th.
2022 was the day he was going to run out of blades. He had like six left. And mom said, do you need these? And I took them in dad's honor. If I'm being truthful, and why not give that a whirl? I was angry with my dad a fair amount growing up. Now, most of that is on me. I was the type of angsty teen who considered getting asked to mow the lawn to be fascism. Nonetheless, it is accurate to say that my dad did not always cover himself in parenting glory. He certainly did better than his dad, who found his kids to be about as interesting as a bowl full of sand. He definitely, definitely did better than his dad's dad, who ditched his family for the palm tree-strewn beaches of central Oregon. But my dad did make mistakes. Of course, whatever faults my dad had as a father were surely largely the product of having never seen fatherhood even be tried. And trying really is key. The research that makes social scientists so enthusiastic about fatherhood doesn't really do much to assess the quality of the fathering being performed. The big question is just, was there a dad around? If the answer is yes, that is a win. It's like Woody Allen once said, 80% of success is showing up, which I find to be true, and in fact so true that I am now quoting Woody Allen in a column about fatherhood, which is, I think we could agree, perhaps not ideal. Evolution, if you think about it, has almost surely equipped kids with strong immunity to genetically inept fathering. After all, if it hadn't, the human species would not have survived. It does stand to reason that nature would protect us from run-of-the-mill fatherly dumbassery, much the way it protects a mongoose from snake venom. This is a protection you're going to need. Fathering of seemingly any sort appears to have a positive effect, probably precisely because humans have adapted to make the most of whatever ham-fisted efforts some dolt of a dad has to offer. My dad's legacy is that as far as I can tell, he is the first Maurer to have attempted fatherhood. He never saw it done, but he gave it a go anyway. And as with any innovator, there were bumps along the way. At times, my dad's fatherly efforts did resemble early attempts at flight. A few moments I can recall were basically the parenting equivalent of strapping balsa wood wings onto a bike and riding it off a bridge. Though actually, that metaphor does not totally work because with parenting, it seems that the mere attempt confers a level of success. And my dad had the courage to try. My wife and I might have kids soon. If we do, those kids will be the product of a long-term plan that, quite frankly, makes the invasion of Normandy look slapped together. But my fears about failing as a father are no longer a stumbling block. I have seen fatherhood done. I know that virtuosity isn't required. And I'm not going to perpetually delay parenthood while hoping to achieve some Danny Tanner-esque state of fatherly perfection that will never arrive. At some point, I will accept the challenge of fatherhood drawing on the courage that I saw from my dad. 
And that's the episode. Certainly a different flavor this week. I promise not to become Hannah Gadsby, substituting heavy life stuff for comedy. But this did seem like the right piece to do this week, and I'm glad it could be accompanied by my dad's favorite song, Wang Wang Blues by Paul Whiteman. No, my dad's favorite song was Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. But if I played Money for Nothing by Dire Straits, then Mark Knopfler's lawyers would be on me probably before the drums even kick in. So, sorry, Dad, it's going to have to be Wang Wang Blues. And one last thing I want to say about my dad. Some might feel that it's odd that I had jokes in a post about my dad, but let me say this about Steve Maurer. The guy was pro-fun. He was pro-fun and liked jokes, and I think especially these days that is really a positive trait. That is it for this week's episode. One more time, all my stuff is at imightberwrong.substack.com. I will be back next week with another episode. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and bye for now.